Our consideration today is by Vincent Ryan Ruggiero, and this is on the importance of controlling emotions. The importance of controlling emotions. And Vincent writes, and this is out of his book. It's really a nice little book if you get a chance to read it. It's called Beyond Feelings, A Guide to Critical Thinking. And uh, this comes out of that book, and he writes, We live in an age of manipulation. Armies of hucksters and demagogues stand ready with the rich resources of psychology to play up on our emotions and subconscious needs to persuade us that the superficial is profound. But it is, uh, excuse me, to persuade us that the superficial is profound, harmful is beneficial, evil is virtuous, and feelings are especially vulnerable to this kind of manipulations. And I mean, you can see that today. There's so much demagoguery in the world system today. It's just, it's unconscionable. You, you just can't even wrap your mind around how much demagoguery is going on. I mean, and the thing that strikes you is the fact that people don't, to me, everything comes down to two things. It's either a lie or it's true. It's one or the other. It's either it's a lie or it's true. I don't care what political party it is. I don't care what persuasion it is. It's either a lie or it's true. And when you just see the amount of lying that's going on, it's just, it's unconscionable. And it appeals to a lot of emotional people. People who are emotional and they believe stuff that is just, it's craziness. And it's, it's, you know, you just say, yikes, this is a world system. I hope that believers, we have the opportunity to comport ourselves in a much better way than the unbelievers do. And I hope that we're doing it by the use of the, uh, the, uh, the Christian life and having an understanding of how to be able to overcome our spiritual enemies. That makes a huge difference. <clears throat> now, speaking of the world system, as you, over the last 20 years or so, you think about the, um, <clears throat> these um, first responders, and they've been kind of lauded in a lot of different ways, and probably so. You know, the uh, nurses, the, do- the uh, doctors, the um, police and firemen. And they, they get a lot of uh, awards for different things, and people have recognized them and gave them d- different certifications and such. And uh, it's really interesting to see that. And people are thankful for these uh, various responders and that they're there. But what's interesting is that from a believer's point of view, uh, there are responders or first responders from a Christian point of view. And do you know most of these people go unrecognized? There are believers who do things in the body of Christ that are not recognized by other believers. God recognizes it. And there's going to be a point in the future where he's going to recognize these believers. And I really think that what's going to happen is that when we get to the Bema Seat Judgment, I think, this is my personal opinion, a lot of the people that people think are going to get these great rewards, I think they're going to be shocked. I think the people that are probably going to get rewards are going to be the people that you never suspected because what they're doing is not out front. It's not something that everybody sees all the time, but it's the faithfulness of these people that that do things all the way through, that they're manifesting God's life, they're um, involved with helping the saints, that they don't get any thanks. They don't get any accolades for it. And why do we bring this up? Because when we think about Thanksgiving, do you know the group of people that Paul gave thanks for more than any other group or any other thing? As you look at him giving thanks in the New Testament, he's constantly giving thanks for other believers. 
He's constantly giving thanks for other believers and how God is using other believers in the lives of other believers. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how God has used believers in your life? Has the response of how God has used believers in your life been that you were thankful? I thank God for this person and what they did. I thank God for this person and what they stand for. I thank God for this individual, as somebody likes to say that we listen to, and and how God is using them. This makes a huge difference, and it's ironic that as you look through the New Testament, you see it over and over and over. Paul is constantly giving thanks for other believers and how God is working in their life. So let's look at this, and I would hope that on the other side of this, that what we would do is that we would be more hypersensitive to how God is using believers, and as we see it, that we're thankful for other saints. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we can be thankful uh, for all kinds of things, bad things, good things, and we can be thankful for other saints as we see in your word how the Apostle Paul was uh, always thankful for the various believers in the various situations that he saw. And we're thankful, Father, that we're able to look at this and that we're able to walk away from this with an appreciation for the saints and how we can give thanks for those who you're using in the body of Christ. We're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so as you look at Paul, um, he gives thanks uh, as exhibited. Uh, well, let's do this first. Let's give you a definition of Thanksgiving. And so I think we've got to really define what we mean when we say Thanksgiving. And so the Thanksgiving, as we've talked about many times, is a compound word. It's a you, uh, which is the... <coughs> You would have it in the English, E-U. And that word means good. Good. Now, we understand it in that uh, we have what are called eulogies. Do you know when you go to a funeral or a memorial service, you're supposed to give a eulogy, and you're really not supposed to say anything bad about the person. And most of the time, you don't. And I am recalled, as I've said this before, my mother told me about the pastor that preached his funeral, and he got up and he said, just the truth about this woman. (laughs) There was almost a fight that broke out. (laughs) Um, I understand the pastor was not too much with it with his, uh, he was a little tipsy as he was doing his message. And uh, one of the family members came up and almost accosted him as he was delivering the message. So you actually means good. You're, you're supposed to speak good about a person at a funeral. Uh, eulogio is the idea of a good word, and that's where we get our word eulogy, uh, eulogy from. Uh, this word, you, is good, and then you get it with, uh, it's actually a word uh, from uh, chrisma, or Christos, uh, good grace. So when you're saying, when you say, th- I thank you, Father, for something, you're saying that you are giving good grace in this thing. And Thanksgiving is actually, it's, it's connected to God's character. I mean, it's, Thanksgiving is looking at what God has given you, and you're looking at this thing that he gave you, and you're saying, I thank you for this benefit that you've provided for me. 
praise is the different. It is different. You're not only just looking at what God has given you. You're saying so there's something about God's character that is you connected to. And now that's praise. That's that's true praise. But anyway, so Thanksgiving is you're saying when you God provides something for you. You're saying this is good grace. And you see that God did it. He provided it. Now, think about this. We don't think about it in, in the context of in terms of people. But if we didn't have this local church and there were no believers and you didn't know how to contact other believers, you probably would have a better appreciation for it than you do now. I'm pretty sure that you would. We don't even think about it. But when I talk to people, as I had the occasion to do this week, of people who don't even know where to find a good local church, you come to appreciate the fact that finding a church where there is actual teaching and fellowship, that that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. And a lot of people uh, have, don't have that opportunity. So when Paul was talking, uh, he uh, exhibit, he exhibited thanksgiving on behalf of the saints, as you see in Scripture. And he starts, and we want to start with the, uh, looking at these believers in various places and look, looking back at how God chose them and that he was thankful for their being chosen in Christ. And so look at Colossians. Uh, well, start with 1 Thessalonians 2.13. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 2.13. And so, uh, is that right? No. Yeah, First Thessalonians 2.13, it is right. So he's talking to the Thessalonians, and we'll see this a, a lot uh, with regard to the Thessalonians. And notice he says here, um, with the Thessalonians, I mean, if you go back into um, Acts 17 and you do a history of the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, and we've said this over and over, and I hope that you, you get the point, the Thessalonians would be what we would consider today to be kind of not intellectual people, right? And we have some states around the country where people think that there's a majority of those kind of people that come from. I won't mention some of the states. Maybe you might be from one of those states. <laughs> and so we have these kind of, but these were the people, you know what's ironic about these kind of people? I have found that these people are more open to the truth of God's word than the so-called intellectuals. The intellectual people think that they, oh, I've got it. Now, you can't tell them anything, but these people, and you can see it in the difference again, I told you, between the Thessalonians and the Corinthians. The Corinthians were from a highfalutin place. They were from an intellectual center, and they thought that they, they, they knew it. And they were harder to teach. And so here you see it. Uh, with, notice in verse 13, he says, For this cause I um, also we." Th- uh, Thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word which you have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which is effectually worketh in you that believe. And so this is talking about the word of God. It's not really the one I wanted to get to. Look at Colossians chapter one, and we'll come back to that verse because we he did uh, deal with that. Colossians chapter one and verse three and four. 
In verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace is unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And, uh, and so the word for praying is actually you have an idea of a, uh, a continual praying as he's thinking about these saints. And really it's worshiping on behalf of them. And notice he says, since we heard, verse 4, of your faith in, in Christ Jesus and the love which you have toward all the saints. And so these believers believed. And, um, and notice, as a result of their believing and, and being placed in Christ, uh, and, and, and we see this correlation with agape love. It is impossible to love, true love, uh, without um, having a, a relationship in uh, your position in Christ. And so notice the result of these Colossians. Now, Paul didn't know these believers. He wrote them this letter uh, through an emissary. He sent it by an emissary. But notice the thing that you see here is that they were directing agape love toward the saints. And he says, I thank God as I'm worshiping, I'm thinking of these saints Look at how they are directing love toward each other. I think that the world system have robbed us of an appreciation for things that are really genuine and important. And so you and I, I hope that when we see that, you recognize the appreciation for what that means. That God is being glorified as you have saints who are loving each other and that the world is seeing that, and God's being glorified by it. It's not something that is common, that is happening in every church. And you see that Paul is, has an appreciation for that. And notice, um, and you can see that he uh, gave an, was thankful for the faith in the Lord Jesus, as expressed by those in Ephesus. Notice in Ephesus chapter 1 and verse 15. I said Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> now notice, uh, so the, the Ephesian church, um, this is an interesting church because they were um, a church that um, early on had some good doctrine. And, and this is an example of the fact that I think that it's not just a matter of you knowing what is true, you have to actually live it. So these people knew what was true, but over the course of time, they got away from it. And I give you an example. Go right over to First Timothy chapter 1, and Paul had to send um, Timothy back into Ephesus. Why? They had gone away from grace teaching. Look at all, the, if you read this, this four, five, uh, six chapters here, all of this great teaching they had, and yet they left it. Just because you know it don't mean that you'll adhere to it. They left it. And so over in Ephesus, Timothy, Timothy has to go over there because they're teaching Old Testament doctrine. And then you go into Revelation 2, and Paul, uh, uh, John writes they had left their first love. 
And this was a church that understood more than many of your churches today ever could think about understanding. And so notice he writes to them in verse, uh, let's pick it up in verse uh, 13, in whom also you, you have trusted after that you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the uh, earnest, or the word earnest is um, Arabon is a, a down payment, an earnest money agreement. You know, when you buy a house, you put down an earnest money agreement, uh, you put a little bit down that says, yes, I'm, I've got skin in the game. Debbie just did that, right? That I'm going to do this. We're going to make this happen. And that the Holy Spirit is, represents that to us, that he's a down payment and, and that we're going to get what, the rest of what's coming to us. Now notice he says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession until the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and notice and your love. And who is it to all the world? Is that what it said? All the saints. Notice, at every time when he has an opportunity to tell you who love is to be directed to, who is it to? The saints. Now notice the result of it. I cease not to give thanks for you. Or really, I cease not giving thanks on your behalf, making mention of you in my prayers or in my worship. And so here's kind of how worship goes. I, I don't know how many of you remember Dan uh, taught uh, communication with God last spring, I think it was. And so you worship is something that you do to God, and it's a bigger part. And so I could be worshiping to God, telling God what I see Scripture says about who he is. And as I'm worshiping to God, I might say, thank you, Father, for Justin. I thank you, Father, for Justin and how you resolved that situation with those bears <laughs> that he was struggling with. Or I thank you for Jeanette and her faithfulness and how she's been around all these years. And then you might go back in worshiping God again. Right. And so this is where Paul's mindset was. And as it was there, he thought about these Ephesian believers. And the fact here's again, you see it in Colossians. And you see it here in the book of Ephesians, and you also see it in the th- in uh, First Thessalonians. What is the thing he's giving thanks for? Their expression of love. That they love one another. Uh, that as a result of being placed in Christ, they had the ability to be able to do this, and that they were loving one another. Now notice... Um, also, you can see in Second uh, Thessalonians... And in chapter 2 and verse 13, he's talking to the Thessalonians regarding, again, their election. And I think this is where I wanted to go to begin with. <laughs> Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Now he starts off, <clears throat> and, and here's something, and, and, and some people think I'm cruel because I really appreciate this scripture, but it's not that I'm cruel. I just have an appreciation. I don't know about you, but I like the end of a good story. You know, and as I'm talking to people who, are t- who uh, want you to watch a movie, they say, well, I won't tell you about it because I don't want to ruin it for you. You're not going to ruin it for me because I don't care. <laughs> I just want to know what's going to happen at the end. Right? 
To me, the end is what really is the thing that really matters. I don't want to know the details. It's not going to ruin it for me. But here's Paul is talking to the Thessalonians about what's going to happen at the end. And isn't this wonderful? It's a wonderful thing to see. He says in verse, uh, uh, let's pick it up in verse, um, we'll pick it up in verse uh, three. Let no man deceive you <clears throat> by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Just a stop here. There's a lot of things going on in the world today where people are saying this is the end times. You know, we're in the tribulation period. And oh, it's just like fingers on the chalkboard. And so here, in order for this to happen, Paul's telling you the scenario of what's going to happen now. One of the things that's going to happen in the future is that this man of lawlessness who is going to be revealed when the rapture occur, is, uh, takes place, he's going to call himself God and he's going to go into the temple of God where there is no temple of God as we sit today. They do say that there's one that's, they, that they could put it up in three months. They believe that they have everything to put the temple back together and they could do it within a three-month period of time. When that temple is set up, that man's going to go into the temple and going to tell the Jews to worship him that he's God. And that's going to be in the middle of the tribulation period. Now he's going to tell you how we're going to get to that. <clears throat> Showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withhold it or what restrains. There is a little problem. Satan always, here's the mystery here is telling you that Satan always has had a guy ready to be this guy. Because he doesn't know when God's going to allow him to bring this guy onto the scene. So this guy is always ready at every generation. But there's one little problem. God's restraining him. And he can't be brought onto the scene until God allows it to happen. And that's what he says, this ideal that remember when I was with you, I told you these things. And now you know the one, know uh, what withhold, withholds him or what restrains him that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity, or really I translated, the mystery of a lawlessness does already work. Only he who now restrains, that word lets, is restrains, will restrain until he's taken out of the way. So the Holy Spirit is restraining this man from being brought onto the scene. You ever been to a, um, a um, rodeo? You see these bulls? They're just chomping at the bit to get out and they're, and they're holding them back, holding them back. And as soon as they open that door, boom, they shoot out, they come, shoot out of the chute there. And this is what's happening with Satan and the man of lawlessness. He wants to bring this man onto the scene so bad, but the Holy Spirit is restraining him. Nope, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> and so. Notice, and then, verse 8, shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume by the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy but the brightness of his coming. Even him who is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion, 
that they should believe a lie. Anyone who has heard the gospel in this dispensation and rejected it and go into the tribulation period, their chances of being saved will be nil. Nil. Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, notice what Paul says here to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from a beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. And so this idea of God chose you. I mean, that's something to be thankful for. Everyone who believes the facts of the gospel, you could be sure you were chosen. You didn't choose God. God chose you. And you see that in Ephesians chapter one and verse four, that God chose us before the foundation of the world. Paul says regarding the Thessalonians and how he saw God working in their life, I thank God that he chose you from a beginning. And notice, as a result of that, these Thessalonians were not going to be ones who were going to participate in what you see happening on the other side of the rapture. The Apostle Paul exhibited thanksgiving on behalf of saints who persevered in the face of adversity. You know, not a lot of believers go through things and can make it. I mean, you find believers, believers can be in various situations. Remember we talked about some uh, months ago that uh, uh, Paul talked to the Thessalonians and in 1 Thessalonians he says, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. And these are among believers. There are believers who, because of their, where they are spiritually, don't have the ability to deal with adversity as it comes and notice, you see, with these believers, the Thessalonians, they were able to. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8. First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, to get a, a feel for what's happening here, I hope you, you could go back and read the um, um, 17th chapter of Acts. And this is what Paul is talking about. So he goes... He comes down into Thessalonica after he comes out of Philippi. He's already treated badly in Philippi. He casts a demon out of this little slave girl. They throw him in jail, and he's in jail. They beat him for no reason at all. So then he's let out there. He goes into Thessalonica, and as he goes there, he leads some of these people to the Lord. And as he leads them to the Lord, some of the Jews in that town or in that synagogue, were moved to jealousy, and they, they uh, raised the ruckus among the Gentiles, and they, there were some problems that occurred. Paul had to leave, and they sent him down into Berea. And so when he left, he was concerned about these believers as to what was going on with them. So he sent Timothy back to find out what was going on with them. And so this is the context here. Notice, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And we sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Uh, this is an interesting word. That word for moved is to be shaken. 
there are things that can go on from a world system point of view that can mentally shake you to where you just don't have the wherewithal to deal with things. And, that's, and so these pressures here, he was saying that we, don't, we didn't want this to happen to you. And so he says, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were appointed unto, thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know of your faith, lest some means the tempter, having tempted you, and our labor be in vain. And so Paul sent Timothy back. He says, go back and check on these believers there and see how they do. There was persecution that was going on. And these were new believers. They just believed. And Paul's wondering, what's happening with them? And notice the report Timothy brings back, verse 6. It wasn't what Paul thought. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith. Notice, you see a consistent thing Paul keeps giving thanks for? The bearing of the fruit. You see believers who are manifesting the life of God. Good tidings of your faith, fruit of the Spirit, and love, fruit of the Spirit. And that you have good remembrances of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Now, now what if, say, I, we led a, a missionary assignment over to some country, and you guys went over there, and all kinds of trouble broke out, <laughs> and... You know, what happened with Moses when he led the children out of uh, Egypt, right? What did they say? Oh, God, this is from God. Thank you, Moses. No, what did they say? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you led us out into the wilderness to die? And I'm sure you guys, if we were into that situation, you'd be saying, thank God. You wouldn't be saying, Kevin, look at what you did to us. Right? I, I would hope not. But this is what Paul was appreciative of. Notice, he says... In verse 6, but now when Timothy came to, well, verse 7, therefore, brethren, as he saw that Timothy came and says, no, Paul, they really have a good appreciation for you. They have good remembrances of you. Even these believers who had gone through suffering. After Paul led them to the Lord. And so Paul, when he heard this, he says, therefore, verse seven, brethren, we were comforted over you and all of our afflictions and distress by your faith. For now we live if you stand steadfast in the Lord uh, uh, for what thanks we render to God again for you all. The joy wherewithin we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And so notice here you have these believers who are going through it and they are being spiritual through it. You can see that they have love. They have faith. Uh, and they're still loving the brethren. It isn't really a matter of the pressures that they're going through on the outside. It didn't stop them from having the right relationship to each other. You know, a lot of 
what was that old saying that the people used to say when the, when the uh, going gets tough, the tough gets going? Sometimes when the going gets tough, uh, people get a going. <laughs> and they can't handle pressure. You see that in the American culture today. A lot of people don't understand or have the ability to handle pressure. And so, and Paul was thankful for the Thessalonians as a result of it. Um, notice also Paul was thankful for those in Rome who risked their lives in providing for the preaching of the gospel in, in Romans uh, chapter 16 and verse 4. You see how many times so far that we see that Paul has been thankful for other saints and how God was using them in various situations. In Romans chapter 16, now notice uh, here, he, as he closes out this epistle, uh, he writes and he's really noticing a lot of the saints that you've probably never heard of that were involved in his ministry and, and ones that... Uh, uh, he was very thankful for it. And I start with verse one. He says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at uh, Centria, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints and that you assist her in whatsoever business she had need of you, for she has been a succor. Now, we don't use that word quite often in America anymore. You ever heard that one lately, Wendy? Succor, a helper is how you can actually say that. She's been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for their own life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Now, this is interesting what he says here. You have these believers, and notice they laid down that idea of laid down means that they placed something on the line. And what, it was that, what did they place on the line? Their necks. They use that word. It's really, it's a, it's a euphemism of the place where burdens are born. And we, we, it comes across in our American vernacular, right? When you say, I'm not putting my neck on the line, <laughs> right? And so this is what he's saying here, that these people for the sake of the gospel, laid down their own necks. And Paul says, I'm thankful. How many believers do you see today that have put their own neck on the line for another believer? Or for what's right from Scripture? You know, I, I would hope a lot. I would hope a lot. Paul saw it among the believers at Rome, and he was thankful. It's not something that happens all the time. A lot of believers, if we're not spiritual, we cannot handle pressures. The pressures will get the better of us. It takes the believer being empowered by grace to deal with pressures. These believers exhibited that and laying down their own necks. Paul expressed thanksgiving for saints who were used by God to sacrifice in order 
to enhance the life of uh, lives of other believers. Now, this guy Titus is an interesting fellow. Over in Second Corinthians chapter eight, he was such a great uh, comfort to Paul on many occasions. Let's introduce him, and then we'll go back and we'll see what he did. And Paul was thankful for him. Now, what was interesting about Titus was that. Though the Corinthian church had a not-so-well view of Paul at times, they liked Titus for some reason. Titus had a good relationship with him. And so Paul would use him as an emissary to the Corinthian church. And so let's pick it up um, in verse... Uh, let's pick it up in verse uh, 11. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians about an offering that they said that they were going to send to the um, church at Jerusalem that was suffering from a famine and the Corinthians being where they were at hadn't done it so Titus went to get the offering notice in verse 11 now therefore perform the doing of it that as there was a readiness of will so there also may be a performance out of uh, that which you have for if the and this as a side here on this offering thing you know, we have these faith pledges today, and you have churches that tell you to pledge in faith. You don't have it today, but pledge, what, that's really presumption. You know, you don't, you give out of what you have, not what you think you might have. You may not even be here tomorrow, uh, and who knows that. And so notice in verse 12, for if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man has, not according to what he has not. For I mean not that other men be eased and you be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a, a supply for uh, their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, and that there may be equality. As it is written, he that gathered had uh, nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own, according he went unto you. And we have sent him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all uh, the churches and that uh, and not that only, but he was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, talking about the offering, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord in the de declaration of your ready mind, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us. This guy, Titus, and you see his name all over the book of Second Corinthians. If you turn back to the seventh chapter, notice this fella. Um, Paul could be thankful for him in a lot of ways. One is that uh, how he was used with the Corinthian church here. Uh, but notice uh, how he ministered to Paul. You know, having other believers that you can go to are other believers and seeing other believers being faithful in the Lord. You don't realize when you are faithful to the Lord, how much that's an encouragement to other saints. To other saints. Notice what Paul says here about Titus and what happened with him. He says, verse 5, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. And the word the rest is relief or anison. But we were troubled on every side. So 
When you're going through something, I, I was reading a book and it was talking about uh, psychological uh, war warfare. And that what happens when people are isolated, when people are isolated, do you know that makes them more vulnerable? They have shown that in prisoners of war, that when a prisoner of war is isolated for so long, that they begin to identify with their captors because they just want some kind of support from anyone. And you can see this from a spiritual point of view with believers. And so notice, here's Paul. He's under pressure in um, Macedonia. And he says, we had no rest. We were troubled. That what troubled is that there were pressures. There was pressure coming from every side. Everywhere he looked, there was pressure. On the outside, fightings. Well, just go through Acts 16 and read from Acts 16 to chapter 18. This guy was under duress constantly. I don't know how many of us today would be able to endure the pressures that this guy went through. He says, on the outside, fightings. On the inside, fears. Hey, you don't think that this stuff doesn't bother these guys? That he was some kind of super apostle and it didn't bother him? Absolutely it did. You can go right over to Acts, the 18th chapter, and the Lord had to appear to him in Corinth after going from Athens, from Thessalonica into Athens and into Berea and people chasing him every step of the way, fighting against him. By the time he got into Corinth, he was fearful. The Lord had to appear to him in a dream and tell Paul, stop fearing. Nobody's going to hurt you here. Now, here's the mindset that Paul was in. And notice the other side of it. Nevertheless, God that comforts those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. You don't think that what you do matters to other believers and your presence matters to other believers. It makes a huge difference. Notice he says, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation of the word consolation, there is the comfort wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. So not only did Titus come, he's and comforted Paul, but he says, hey, the Corinthians over there, they actually did what you had asked them to do. Do you know how confident it is? And you probably don't realize this unless you've had kids. When you see your kids doing what they're supposed to do, you just say, isn't that wonderful? It makes a huge difference. And so here Titus was served, uh, made a, a, had a huge role in that and how Paul was thankful for him and how he related to the Corinthians. Just one other thing, look at the second chapter and he, he talks about again how much Titus meant to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. And so he was expecting to see Titus when he went into Troas and he got to Troas and Titus wasn't there. Now, you know, you guys may come and see some people that are not here and you might say, oh, well. <laughs> but you know, when you are close to other believers, 
and uh, and God has used you and melded you together with believers in a, in a work, it makes a huge difference uh, when those believers are around or not. Notice Paul's reaction to Titus here, uh, not being there. He says, uh, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Well, why did it matter? Eh? Well, Titus just, he had a, something else to do. <laughs> Do you know Paul could thank God for a guy like Titus? If you look at Titus and you look at what's interesting is you look at the book of Titus and how Paul wrote the book of Titus as what he wrote to Timothy. The thing that strikes you is Titus had a little bit more going on than Timothy, it seemed. He didn't write some of the things to conjole Titus like he did Timothy. I think Titus was a little further along. And so he was able to really be an encouragement to Paul, and Paul was thankful for it. Notice Paul also expressed thanksgiving for the acceptance of the word by the Thessalonians. And, um, and that's what we saw uh, when we first started out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. So 2 and verse 13. And so here's he's saying, For this cause we thank God without ceasing. That um, because when you received or really that word you received, you welcome the word of God, which you have heard of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as in truth, the word of God, which effectually works or is energized uh, also in you that believe. And so he could give thanks to the Thessalonians. How many people do you talk to? And I'm sure that you've talked to a lot of people. And uh, what do they say? You tell them what scripture says. Ah, oh, it's just a book written by men. Ah, oh, that book there. It don't mean nothing. But you know that the Thessalonians, when Paul talked to them, and he didn't have these scriptures as we have today, but it was the oral teaching of the word of God. They didn't look at it as being from men. They looked at it as the word from God. Do you know you can't make people see that? That's a matter of illumination. And that's why I have learned, I don't argue with people about Scripture. I just refuse to. To me, if, and I've, when I was working uh, before I retired, and we would get into these conversations at work, and people would have their opinion, well, I don't believe that. Well, okay. You're certainly right to have that opinion. But it's not like, again, we're not going to all find out the truth. And there's been some who have gone on, and I'm sure that they know the truth now. And so, and so here's, here's Paul, these, these Thessalonians, they believed that. They believed it as the word of God. And so Paul consistently remembered Timothy in a similar manner. Notice in 2 Thess- uh, Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, Timothy, and, and I, we could be hard on Timothy, but I think that he was a young guy, probably in his uh, something, maybe 30s or 40s. Um, and so Timothy uh, had some struggles. And so Paul um, depended upon sending Timothy to certain places where there were problems. And so um, Timothy sometimes had a hard time. As he went back into Ephesus, he had a hard time uh, with what was going on there. Uh, people can say things. 
at times that can cause people to have a bad opinion of someone. Again, I, I really am appreciating how much lying is devastating. I've really gained an appreciation from what a lie can do. And you can tell a lie about someone and it can make someone see that person in a totally different way than what's true. And I think this is what the Thessalonians, the Ephesians were doing about Paul. So that Timothy wanted to separate himself from him. And so notice in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned, that word unfeigned is the unhypocritical faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. And so notice he gave thanks for Timothy, even in spite, as you read here, what do we do when somebody, we are dependent upon somebody and they can't come through? And what if that person can't come through because they just don't have the wherewithal to do it? Sometimes we will say, I don't care that you don't have the word at all, you know, uh, you know, get it together, <laughs> you know. But notice what Paul said about Timothy. I thank God, whom I serve with my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my worship. He's remembering Timothy. He's fully aware of what he's going through. You can see later on in that first chapter, he says that Timothy would not even seek him out when he was in prison. Onesimus did. Timothy didn't. Again, if, if one of us, for some reason, were seen as being a bad guy, falsely, how many of us would associate ourselves with him? How many of us would just start backtracking away from that person? Uh, it, it can happen. And here, Paul, um, it was done in an unjust manner. Notice Paul was consistently remembered the Romans in a, in a similar manner in, um, in uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 9. And so, again, you see this thanksgiving and it's constant thanksgiving on behalf of saints who are in various situations. Now, with Timothy there, he's actually in a bad situation where really I believe he's under satanic attack. And Paul still was able to give thanks for him because he's a saint and that he knows he's going through this situation, but he could still give thanks for the fact that God is, that he's a, a called brother and God's going to get him past this. He goes on to say in, later on in that chapter, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. But what do we do today? Well, not you guys, but I know that sometimes people just, man, if you needed somebody and you got to depend on them and they're not there, I'm done with them. <laughs> You're dead to me. <laughs> I'm done. Don't ah, I, You can't count on this guy. Right. And, and sometimes we do that. Notice in Romans, the first chapter, Paul says in verse eight, for I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you 
always in my worship, making requests if by any means now that at length I might have a prosperous journey um, by the will of God to come to you. And so Paul says, I give thanks for you, saints. He's thankful for these believers that are in Rome and he wanted to come to see them. I think sometimes, that, you know, from the, the, the standpoint of believers today, I mean, we don't even think about anyone outside of our area. Do you know the body of Christ extends all over the world? There are believers in China who are being killed to this day. Believers in the Middle East, believers all over the world. And so that makes a huge difference. Notice the prominent, the last thing that we want to see is the prominent opportunity for thanksgiving by the apostle was reserved for saints uh, manifesting the fruit. And so we see it again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse uh, um, 2 through 3. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2 through 3. And so we find again the Thessalonians, and as we've talked about before, um, I, I think these were some special people. I mean, we, when we studied this in seminary, we, I mean, we were told, oh, the Thessalonians, are, boy, those, that's a good book. And you don't really have a full appreciation for it until you actually go through and read it. And you really ought to read these first two books, the, the two books of First um, and Second Thessalonians. And you really look at what people ought to be like as believers. This is really a template of what believers ought to be like. Notice what he says here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanians and Timotheus unto the church of Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, graces to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. See how many times he says that? So as he's worshiping, People come to mind. Oh, those Thessalonians, Father. Boy, those people and what they're doing over there, how wonderful what you're doing in their life. And here, I, again, I think the specific thing is talking about um, what they were manifesting and how they were growing and maturing. And, and you can see it from the context, and we'll read the context through here. He says, I thank God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work from faith, your labor from love and your patience from hope. Now, those are just three powerful things that he says here, that when you have faith, it produces work. When you have love, it produces tireless labor on behalf of saints, that you'll work tirelessly for the saints. And it, I mean, I really I think that our euphemism that we have in the English language, a labor of love comes from this. It's working because you just want to do it. And though you get tired, you don't get tired of it. And so notice, and your patience from hope. And hope is to have an expectation based upon a promise. In our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came unto you, not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord 
and of the Lord, having received a word and notice in much affliction. Now, we saw this before, that in the 17th chapter of Acts, they were under persecution immediately. And notice what did they display? Joy. They were under afflictions and pressures, and they were able to display joy. Now, I want to tell you that joy is not a thing of me when things happen that are bad, and I just say, ha, 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 <laughs> that doesn't bother me. They had this revival called the um, Holy Revival up in Pensacola some years back, back in the 90s, and they called it the laughing movement. I call it the demonic movement. <laughs> There was just nothing but a bunch of demonism, it seemed like, with some of the people writhing on the floor, laughing like fools. Joy is not that kind of thing. Joy is an appreciation for what God is doing in a circumstance to the point that you're okay with it. You can see that it's coming from God. It doesn't stop the pressure, but you can be okay with the fact that God has bought it. That's joy. And so and notice what he says here with joy and where is it connected to of or really from the Holy Spirit. And notice the results here as to why I believe Paul says we so we're so thankful for you so that you became examples or types. This is why I say that this is how believers ought. This is a good example to show what believers ought to look like. You became types to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, and from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God would have spread so that we need not speak anything. You know, Paul didn't have to say, hey, look at those believers over there in Thessalonica. You see what they're doing? Do you know that their lives stood for what it was that they really believed? I, you know, I hope I don't offend you here. I hope no one has a cross on their car or a bumper sticker or any of these type of things. That's fine if you have it. But do you know what? There's no substitute for how we live. How we live speaks volumes about who we are. Notice I don't wear a collar, a cleric collar. I don't put clergy on the back of my car. I don't park in the clergy section whenever I go somewhere. Really, my life should speak about who I am. You can see it here with these saints. They were manifesting various parts of the fruit. We see three of them. Joy, love, faith. In the midst of persecution. And so what is what happens? People say, well, you don't know. We've got some bad things going on here. And I don't know if I can continue doing what I'm doing. And the first thing that happens when pressure comes. Sorry, saints. You know. It's like that uh, cartoon. uh, It was a commercial back some years ago that uh, I can't remember the commercial, but they were talking about the guy. You had two guys and they were trying to run away from a lion. And the guy was running away from the other guy so fast. And the guy hollered out at him and says, you know that you can't outrun a lion? He says, I know. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) And that's kind of where a lot of believers are in this. And so things happen and we're gone. And Paul, with the Thessalonians, he could say, I thank God for you. 
I really thank God for you. Look at what this is not a normal thing. These believers are under extreme pressure. And what were they exhibiting? Love, joy, faith. And Paul was thankful for him. You realize how often, and even today, great opportunities we have to be thankful for each other as saints. Different things that God is doing in your life, using your spiritual gift, and how you impact the body for your faithfulness. I think about Miss J, who's been here from the very beginning since we've been here. And we joke with her. I used to tell her she's like Methuselah. Whenever she goes, we go. <laughs> and so, you know, she's been here from the very beginning. I thank God for her. I mean, when there was no one else, Jeanette was here. I thank God for her. I thank God for Don and how God has brought him here and using him in the body of Christ. All of you, we, I could repeat that over and over and over for all of the saints. Your presence here, the fellowship that we have as a result of being together. Don't take those things for granted. There are people all over this world who don't have that opportunity. They don't have that opportunity. Be thankful. There's many opportunities to be thankful for each other. You see Paul exhibiting exhibiting thanksgiving for saints all throughout the New Testament. How many times he says it. Even for those saints like Timothy who's not where they need to be. At the very least, they're in the body of Christ. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and that we can be thankful for everything, all things at any time. And we're thankful, certainly, as we see with the Apostle Paul, his thanksgiving that he displayed on behalf of the various saints. The different uh, things that saints were doing, the different uh, situations saints were in. And we're so thankful, Father, that we can be thankful for each other and that that's a huge thing. That as we are thankful, we can really appreciate how you're working in the body and how you're using various believers to be able to do that. And we're so thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.